She threw out her shoulder. <laughs> I don't even know how. Being a badass bitch. I did. I fixed the... I hope I fixed it anyway, the dishwasher. Turns out... Pretty gross. If you, yeah, it turns out they're pretty gross for sure. If you have a thing called an air gap, which is this very unsightly thing that sticks up out of your <laughs> sink right next to your faucet. Uh, if you have a dishwasher, water is not supposed to come out of that thing. <laughs> it's been coming out of it for six months. Yeah. Pretty like, much, actually, I think it's been coming out of it since we moved here. So well, like, it's not on us. <laughs> I don't think it did like the first couple of months and then it just started kind of putting out a little bit of water mm -hmm. and then it was like full-blown flooding our counters and floor yeah. with this nasty sewage smelling water and uh i know nothing about plumbing so i was like i guess maybe that's just how that's supposed to work <laughs> went to lowe's because i was going to replace the top part of it because it was all cracked and spewing water everywhere Turns out that is not how it's supposed to work. Water is not supposed to come out of it. And I'm not a real man, so I didn't even know what that fucking thing was called. I was like, I will figure out how to clean the garbage disposal. Never got around to it, so Kristen went ahead and fucking hacked that, batch, hacked that bastard apart and uh, cleaned it up. Well, I googled, and that's the only reason I found out what it was. Um, weird metal spout thingy. Uh, the air... I didn't, I didn't even know, yeah, I didn't yeah. even know it was called an air gap, so I was just like, metal spout thingy, <laughs> on sink, dishwasher, <laughs> like yeah. something random like that, and I finally found a picture of one, and I was like, oh, that's what I'm looking for, and I thought, because I know nothing, uh, I thought I was just literally replacing the metal cap on top, because I was like, it's cracked, that's clearly got to be the problem, <laughs> and dude was like, no, water's not supposed to come out of it at all, you probably need to replace the entire thing, and I was like, fuck. God damn. So I YouTubed that and found a very helpful dude on YouTube who's a plumber um, who was like, yeah, you're probably going to want to replace the entire hose that connects to mm -hmm. the disposal too. And I was like, fuck, I didn't buy one of those. <laughs> so I had to clean it out. It's gross. And threw her shoulder out in the process. So Kristen is low energy Kristen, unless this beer does something to reverse that mood. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the injured but still sexy, Kristen Blue. You know what we should name this episode? What? Not a plumbing cast. <laughs> Plum cast. <laughs> food, not a food cast. We should name this one not a plumbing cast. Yeah, cabin cast, not a food cast, plum cast. Fucking, we're taking over the world. The, we'll just make a bunch of episodes of all the things we don't actually do. Yeah. And that'll be what our uh, show is about from now on. Yeah. All the things we don't do. <laughs> it's like, here I am, auto mechanic cast. <laughs> Made cast. No, but you have to name all of them not whatever it is, so not an auto mechanic cast. Yeah, like bite the um, fucking friends formula and just play with it a little bit. The one where. Yeah. Uh, Kristen was very concerned she might blow up the sink. <laughs> but um, I, I kind of wanted to hit on a few things today uh, about movies that we've watched. We've done a few really dumb comedies. Uh, in the past like week and a half or so and I haven't watched many of them like back to back like that typically I do the very very occasional typically comedy we just watch a lot of things where people die yeah it's a lot of true crime documentaries a lot of horror films shit like that um, but this past week and a half we watched um, Fun with Dick and Jane 30 Minutes or Less and Stranger Than Fiction and I just kind of wanted to have a conversation about um, like how the 
because we've discussed the romantic comedy has a definite defined formula, mm-hmm. and it's why I hate most romantic comedies. But as we were watching 30 Minutes or Less, I realized I just hate the comedy formula. <laughs> like the, it, it, It's not like stand-up, you know, where you've got your standard, you know, set-up, punch, tag type shit. Mm-hmm. It's... You can you know when the laugh is gonna come once you learn the comedian's like flow. It's similar to I think in that regard. Do you want to try a different hole? Stick it oh, in a yeah. different hole, Brett. Our splitter is going to shit. Yeah, I need to order a new one. Um, any better? Yeah. Um, it's similar I think to low budget horror movies though. Like you can always tell when the jump scare is coming mm-hmm. in like the low budget movies that are just like following. Like, all the stereotypes. There is a horror formula. It's like, oh, vulnerable thing. There's a child. But I feel like comedy's the same way in that regard. Open and close the medicine cabinet. Punchline's coming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And shitty joke. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so that's kind of what I wanted to stick with today. But first, um, before we get to the the formula itself and kind of peeling that apart, I want to talk Stranger Than Fiction, because that's the one we watched last night. It's the one most clear in my mind. And honestly, I I, I like it probably the most out of the three. I I didn't expect to, but it's... I love Fun with Dick and Jane as a comedy, but Stranger Than Fiction is like a melodrama disguised as a comedy. I think it's got a little more heart in it. than Like, Fun with Dick and Jane definitely has, like, its own, like, overcoming story. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the difference with Stranger Than Fiction is it's a very personal overcoming story. Yeah. So, um... Which Will Ferrell does that really well in a lot of his films. Like, Elf, for example. Like Elf you, is very goofy, yeah, though. you really care about Elf. Like, you care about <laughs> Will Ferrell's character. He just seems like a fun dude. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. innocent, in a way. Mm-hmm. But not like Jim Carrey innocent, where, like, he's, like, flailing around the world. You're like, oh, it's a slapstick. Like, you don't watch Ace Ventura and, like, get a tug at the heartstrings for Ace I, Ventura. I would argue... The difference there would be that Will Ferrell comes across childlike innocence, mm-hmm. and um, Jim Carrey's just like dumb and dumber, like that idiot <laughs> over there in, in the a, corner, yeah, especially in his early comedic role. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I liked that this one was. I've seen this. I saw it when it first came out, and I remembered it being like a gut laugh, stupid, funny, where like he's always screaming at the sky. I didn't remember Dustin Hoffman being in this movie at all. So mm-hmm. when he walked on the screen, I was like, is that fucking Dustin Hoffman? I didn't remember Queen Latifah being in the movie. And I was like, Which I think is the oddest casting of them yeah. all. Like, I, like, she's just not who you picture to be in like a dramatic comedy. Yeah. But, um,. It was it was really meta. I, I liked that about it. Like the narrative structure was very interesting for me. I think. Well, I think the interesting thing about that. It, well, I mean, of course, that's what the movie's about. Because she's literally writing a movie, yeah. or she's writing a book about mm-hmm. his life, which we're watching in the movie. So yeah, very meta. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I like the fact that like her like beautiful concept of her novel is like this dude like learning to appreciate life before she ultimately kills him off and that's mm-hmm. literally what's happening to him in real time like yeah. he's learning to appreciate his life and he's like fuck i'm gonna die <laughs> it's gonna happen man <laughs> um while we're kind of there what did you think about the 
the ending, the way that it plays out, because there is this should I, shouldn't I in the author's mind, a should I, shouldn't I in Will Ferrell's mind. And then ultimately, because of the way that the narrative structure works, they create a should they, shouldn't they uh, with the audience, where at a certain point you realize she has to kill him off at the end of this book. And you're like, oh, my God, please don't kill Will Ferrell. Like Mm -hmm. he's finally gotten what he needed, you know, as a character. Don't just let him die at the end. But we hear that the way that he's supposed to die is this beautiful, poetic, sudden nature. And then because they make the correction, we as an audience then get to see the worst version of that book in a way. Like, it feels good that Will Ferrell continues at the end. He can continue with his love interest. He's going to move on as a character. He doesn't suddenly die. Would this have been a more impactful movie if they left that original ending that she supposedly wrote? Well, I think if you leave the ending that way, though, then as an audience, we're going, what a horrible human being. Yeah. She knowingly killed a dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think... Because they create that back and forth with her sanity throughout, mm-hmm. you know. Which I, I think you... Because it's two separate stories really happening in one go. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, like, Will Ferrell is our character that we're seeing go through the hero's journey in real time because he's the main character. But I think, realistically, she's the one going through... The, the journey. hero's journey because she hasn't sold a book or published a book mm-hmm. in 10 years. She's an author who, like, I imagine to some extent in her own mind thinks she's washed up and she's failed. Yeah. Um, she's some sort of a redemption arc. Yeah. She used to be somebody and now she's getting back in the ring. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like her publisher has literally sent someone to micromanage her because they don't have faith in her. Mm-hmm. And, um, She's, like, desperately depending on this book, so then she ultimately has to make a choice. Does her career matter more than making the right choice? Yeah. So I like that, that, like, as an audience, we think kind of the story is about Will, but really the story is also in mm-hmm. a large part about her journey to overcoming. Yeah. Because she all, and she says that throughout the whole movie, she only writes about death, and she, mm-hmm. like, writes all these really sad stories where she kills these people off, like, at the point where you're kind of like, oh, like, the teacher's yeah. going to summer break and maybe her life will get better and she's dead. I loved that part when she has this realization that maybe she's been killing real people this entire time. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a beautiful thing to drop in a quote-unquote romantic comedy. I like that they don't explore that, though. Like, I like that like we have... Like, they don't have... cut scene to, like, Rodrigo getting hit yeah. by a bus <laughs> in, like, book like, three. Like, <laughs> I, I like that... She has that, like, moral dilemma, but Mm -hmm. as an audience, we never get confirmation, so it's like, it's just something she's carrying with her. Yeah, it's just the air being pulled out of the room. Oh my god, this has happened before, but it it wasn't Will Ferrell last time. Because it'd be kind of cheesy for them to confirm that in the movie. Like, oh yeah, all of her books are real. She's a wizard. (laughs) Um, She's a wizard (laughs) here. But no, I I do like that, um, because I I think if they had left the original ending as an audience, we would then hate her character. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very obvious, like, we have to know, I think, watching this movie... Will Ferrell's coming out Yeah, that he's not going to die, she's not going to kill him off. But I like that moment where she starts to type the word dead, she got Mm -hmm. that far, and, like, freaks out and is, like, screaming, and he's laying there bleeding out. Yeah. And then you have and the, the two audience different audiences left with that. And you have the two different people in the crowd because she's like, "Oh my God, you know, is he dead?" And someone's like, "It looks like he's breathing," and someone else is like, "It doesn't look like he's breathing." <laughs> so I like that that they kind of give you that, and she's like right there on the edge before she's like, "I can't kill this man." Yeah, I can give him mercy now. You know, I feel like I've done my whole journey. Let's let this one off into the sunset. And I, I like to. 
um, the performance by that actress, like the level of anxiety mm -hmm. behind that. Like she goes, and she's someone who's like supposedly had this prolific career and, you know, back in the day was very famous. And she goes to Dustin Hoffman's character who is, as far as we know, just a professor and hasn't published anything. Yeah. They never mention anything he's published. She has this very vulnerable moment of like, will you read the new ending? And you can tell she's really anxious because she knows it's not as good. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, I can live with that, you know? Yeah, he said it's just okay, and she can live her yeah, life. And she's like all hunched okay. over, like playing with her toes, and she's like, she I can struck live with me. Okay. Speaking of like her character and that portrayal, and I wish I would have written her name down, because it's completely gone from my head. Um, but her portrayal of that character, I know that person. <laughs> the times I have been that person. <laughs> like that fucking spazzed out chain smoking writer who's just so jacked up on Standing caffeine on the they table, can't stop moving. Feeling the air. Yeah, going into the uh, the emergency room and being like, Where are the people that are dying? <laughs> it's like a very writer type question. It's like I'm gonna skip all the bullshit. I need to see this for my work. Where do I see this? <laughs> and I like too, um, when they're sitting in the rain and she's imagining the car wreck that mm -hmm. cleanly Tifa's character is only holding the umbrella over herself and I'm assuming it's because she wanted to sit in the ring because yeah. she's purposely got it tilted away like they both could have sat under that, the umbrella that scene had the funniest line where she tries to give her the nicotine patches I don't need those I smoke cigarettes <laughs> I think she might have been the funniest character in the whole movie mm -hmm. to be honest like their dynamic was very clever yeah. which is odd to give that to her instead of feral like we just get this purely dramatic i mean he has one or two lines through it that are funny but we get like these very dramatic sequences from him like he's finally understood his mortality and so he's very serious but on the other side when she's not writing his life she's off laughing or having these goofy moments being it's very been a neurotic sarcastic quippiness i don't know that she's a laugher <laughs> yeah she's just a punchy sarcastic <laughs> she's <opinion>. english <laughs> but no I, and i think for um the narrative of the movie mm -hmm. it makes sense for will ferrell's character to not be cracking jokes because his character is so dry yeah he's an irs guy I do think Will Ferrell, I mean, it was a fantastic casting, like whoever yeah. cast him, brilliant um, realization that he could pull that role off, but mm -hmm. it is initially a very odd casting when you, like, just analyze what the character is. I think that he he opens up and you're like, oh, we're in another Will Ferrell movie, which was another really good move. When he starts to hear the voice and, like, he has Hello? screaming at it, yeah, that whole fucking sequence. <laughs> that whole sequence. I'm just, like, screaming up at God and, like, fucking freaking out. Um when you see him crack like that, you're like, oh, this is just going to be Step Brothers or Talladega Nights. And then in that same moment, we get like this one explosive, playful version of the man that we're used to. And then it's immediately into the drama. Like, here we are. We're introducing our love interest. That might be predictable. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's going to die. We're not going to get the holding hands. I really like that sequence, too, where he's standing um, in her bakery, and, like, it's the mm -hmm. day that he's auditing her, and he's keeping track of it's, if it's a tragedy or comedy. And he keeps trying to tell these jokes, and they're really not that funny. <laughs> I'm like, that's hilarious working. to see a comedian on screen Bombing. telling a shitty joke. <laughs> and then, like... The weight of that moment where he's like, I know this isn't going to mean anything to you, but I think I'm in a tragedy. I'm mm -hmm. like, kind of a profound like moment for like an actor like Will Ferrell. Exactly. <laughs> well, like they keep giving you these breadcrumbs. Like he's going to do the trick that you know that he does. And then he doesn't do the trick. It's just, you sit in this. <sighs> and I, I like. Talk about 
go continue. No, you're fine. Go. Talk about Dustin Hoffman as the literature professor who just chugs coffee and just breaks down this man as a character for the audience. Like in a way, we learn a lot about. Um, well, Farrell's guy, I was going to use his actual name. Crick. Crick. Uh, we use a Mr. lot. Mr. Prick. Crick <laughs> with a K. She calls him Mr. Prick. Does she? Yeah, the first I time that. <laughs> when he comes back and he's doing the tragedy thing, that's one of the comedy's lines that he goes, oh, hello, Mr. Prick, and then he writes oh, down comedy. I totally didn't even catch talent. that. Yeah. Um, but Dustin Hoffman, that whole sequence where he drinks like four cups of coffee as they like continuous shot this through him taking a leak and then second coffee, and he's just breaking, breaking, breaking. So it's like if you didn't catch the setup as, you know, the show don't tell, here it is in the tell don't show. Moving forward, we've introduced Dustin Hoffman as the mastermind, you know, that connects this entire plot together. Well, I think it's interesting, too, in that sequence where they first introduce him. And, yeah, we watch him, like, blow through three cups of coffee <laughs> before he gets into his own office and makes and a cup of one. coffee. <laughs> out, out of the most massive, like, carafe yeah. or whatever those are called ever. Um, and then, I don't know if it's in that same scene, but later he dumps his own coffee back, back in there. I'm like, it. that's kind of gross. <laughs> but, like, the fact that he keeps making comments about Will Ferrell's character, because we know he's OCD and he, like, counts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He's like, did you have time to count? Did you have time to count that? Or whatever. But Dustin Hoffman's the one coming off neurotic in that sequence. Yeah, and Dustin Hoffman's also the one who played Rain Man. So, like, in a weird way, he's referencing his own work. <laughs> did you have the time to count the tiles on the floor? <laughs> did you catch the mount six? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's funny, because Will Ferrell seems are very calm. He's like, I wasn't counting. I don't count them. And they don't have his character visibly looking around counting either. Mm-hmm. So Dustin Hoffman just looks fucking crazy. <laughs> you do get the little lines from inside of his perspective, mm-hmm. though. Where, where he, he slides it and it's a measurement. Yeah, he knows exactly how long this is to here. He knows like how much soap is left in all of the urinal dispensers. <laughs> I like that they did that in the beginning and then kind of dropped it off towards the end because... Mm-hmm. They overload you with it in the beginning when they're first establishing his character, and it starts to feel a bit cheesy. A little and I click. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I like that they back off of it, and you only get it in subtle moments. Like, whenever he is, like, late to the bus, like, all these, like, numbers pop up and then fall over because he's like, oh, shit, I'm late, you know? <laughs> yeah, it looks like one of those, uh, like, PowerPoint, but not PowerPoint, the other one, where you can drop all, you have, like, all the the webs. Am I making sense? Never, no, never mind. Not, Moving forward. Not remembering <laughs> Um... Shoot, I was going to say something before we got on Dustin Hoffman, and I forgot. I'm going to continue with Dustin Hoffman until it hits you. I don't love that he's a part-time lifeguard, and he reads a book that's inside of a bag. nose plug. <laughs> yeah, his character comes off pretty neurotic. Oh, um, yeah, no, actually, that brought it back to me. Because, um, yeah, like you said, Will Ferrell's character is a little bit more... Not elf level over the top for sure, but at the beginning of the movie, a bit over the top, like yeah. talking to his own shower head, yelling at his toothbrush, yelling at the sky, mm-hmm. and it does. Feel I'm like, taking the closet. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like a more like dulled down version of some of his other performances. Yeah. Like it's not as outlandish, but then I like how. As the movie gets more serious and he's getting closer to his death, that stuff kind of drops off, and like his Entirely, character gets yeah. a lot more serious, and like you have that moment where. Um, 
he gives Dustin Hoffman's character the manuscript because he says he can't read it and asks him to read it and Dustin Hoffman just tosses it down mm-hmm. and I would imagine in most Will Ferrell movies he'd have kind of a like a what like, reaction. I mean, now, I mean it matters. Yeah, like he'd have like an over the top reaction and he just kind of stands there for a minute and looks really sad about mm-hmm. his own death and then walks away and kind of looks back like maybe he's going to read it and then he's like oh no okay and keeps going. <laughs> it's such a subtle reaction to like fuck he doesn't even care I'm going to die. <laughs> I wonder what the motive was. I mean, I, I I love that because it shows like the neuroticism of the Dustin Hoffman character. I wonder what the motive was of having him flatly reject him for the first time now that the ending is known only to that character. Like, is he like giving him time to weigh the decision, or is he like, I promised myself thirty pages of the novel I'm reading, and I'm reading those thirty pages. <laughs> I th- I don't know. I think it's a. I think it's a bit of how um, narcissistic the character is, but mm-hmm. also a bit of, in a weird way, trying to show empathy. Like, I don't think you read how someone's going to die in front of them. So yeah. I think I would be like, okay, we'll go away now. I'll read it mm-hmm. um, and let you know. I don't want you sitting here staring at me. Yeah, watching my reaction yeah. um, and being like, oh, God, it's bad, isn't it? You know? <laughs> um, so I, th- I think to some extent there's a bit of empathy in that choice of go, go, because as soon as he's out of his line of sight, he picks it up and starts reading it. Interesting, though, that he has that power dynamic with Will Ferrell's character, but at the end, when he's asked to read the rewrite, she sits and watches him, and he doesn't do anything, because, like, the Dustin Hoffman character, though elevated above the Will Ferrell character, is still not the god character of the story, Mm -hmm. so the author is above. And so he's taking this person that's, you know, in his mind, below him, because he's not a literary person and he's making amends for the literary god character that we have at the end of the story i do think it's a little out of character the fact that he's harsh with her i feel like your peers would typically be honest with you but he talks Mm -hmm. about how much he adores her and he writes her letters and she never writes him back and then at the end he's like it's just okay. Like I, I he feel respects like, her. But I feel like someone in that situation that like someone you truly admires in the room would find a delicate way to say it. They'd be like, <laughs> oh, you did the best you could. But he's not a, he's not a delicate character. So mm-hmm. like to me, it is an act of reverence. Like he is the quote unquote literary expert. But he like hammers it in. He's like, well, it's, it's not. Okay. He's like, it's not the best piece of literature that's been written in a decade, you know? Like, like he, like, like kind of drives it home. Like, we're all expecting. It's like, I'm telling you that the other one would make you a legend. But I, I don't... This I, one is subpar. What are we doing? <laughs> I feel like that's a little more disrespectful than they kind of led up to that moment us to believe that his character thought of her. See, I view it, like, as a as a respect. Like, he cuts straight to the center of it. Like, I'm not going to flower this up for you. The other one is a better ending, but it is your choice, you know. You can do what you want, but if you're asking me as a literary expert, this is the subpar ending. If you're asking me from a, like, judgment standpoint of what you should do, this is what you should do. It almost comes across like you should have just killed him off. Like, I'm like, that's a cold-ass, He's the literary expert. He's not the Somebody's been hanging out with. She's like, yeah, we've got a mutual friend. And he's like, kill that motherfucker. (laughs) It's like, that guy has been bugging me. (laughs) I dropped all of the uh, sequences from that Canterbury Tales, you know, and he didn't catch any of those references. 
<laughs> I think I introduced the plot of Beowulf. He didn't catch that either. <laughs> I think having the watch literally permanently embedded into his arm was a bit cheesy. I put wouldn't have put that in the story, but I think it's almost like a more mm-hmm. insightful because that was one thing you and I talked about while we were watching it. Because he keeps talking about how it's the most important book of the decade, and I'm like, I don't think a book about a tax person yeah. who has <laughs> a really boring life who ultimately finds love and then dies gets killed. Is really the most insightful yeah. book of the decade. Is That's that... literally an Alanis Morissette <laughs> like song in book form. It's a little ironic. Um, <laughs> and it's not even like the IRS tax agent who like learns from his anarchist girlfriend and like becomes a communist revolutionary and then is killed in the battle. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> it's just they fall in love. Eh, they still disagree politically, and then he's run over by a bus. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't feel like. <laughs> real time that would be that interesting of a novel to read but like i feel like him almost dying and then really really learning to appreciate life the watch shard embedded in his arm permanently aside would be a better ending i like the move because the the watch in the arm um is that stranger than fiction moment where like it could only be seen in a literary novel until it happened in the real world I like the watch in his arm saving his life. I don't like that they couldn't remove it and now it's permanently in his body. Like, I like the, like, it's a cutesy little ending. In an artery of all places. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if you don't remove it, he's definitely going to die. I like the cutesy little ending, like, and so it was, a watch Mm -hmm. saved his life. Yeah. I don't like that the watch is permanently embedded in his arm. Yeah. But I feel like... It should have slowed the bleeding until they could tie it off. Yeah, but I feel like that's honestly a better ending. Like, dude... Doesn't appreciate his life. He's living a dull life. Dude learns to appreciate life. Dude almost dies. Mm-hmm. Dude survives to continue to appreciate life. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a bit too cliche to kill him off, like, as soon as he's learning to appreciate <laughs> life. But I, I, yeah. No, I agree with you overall. But I do think it's an interesting choice to have, like, the, that dynamic between character and character and then ultimately character and audience to where... Which way are they going to go with this? Mm-hmm. Which, because it takes the choice away from Will, as the choice has always been taken away from Will, you know, for the ultimate moral decision to be made by what might be viewed from the outside as the secondary character of God. <laughs> what I do think is interesting, um, speaking of like her being like the godlike character, is like we do establish he's like there are parts of the story I'm not being told, and I need to know mm-hmm. what those parts are. So she's writing this book, and she says herself at the end, um, the point of the character was that the character didn't know that he was going to die, mm-hmm. and if he now knows that he's going to die, and he's willing to die to save someone else's life, am I really going to kill that kind of person off? Yeah. But She created that circumstance. But, <laughs> so her story is of a guy who doesn't know he's going to die, he meets a girl, and he changes his life because, mm-hmm. um, I guess, the girl makes him feel more free. The actual movie we're watching is dude meets a girl that makes him feel more free. He learns he's going to die, and so he starts doing shit he wants to do because he mm-hmm. actively knows he's going to die. So I would be curious to know what the difference in the story she's writing was. Like, Well, it would have been all the other characters. So it would have been our Dustin Hoffman character. It would have been the girl he fell in love with. It would have been his weird roommate IRS guy. Like but Those would have been the moments that weren't voices that he could hear because they weren't direct narratives of his movement. He wouldn't have gone to Dustin Hoffman because the only reason he went to Dustin Hoffman is because he knew he was going to die. So, like, all of those moments aren't happening in her book at all. 
And he never hears her when he's in those moments. This is the problem with writing heavy meta. (laughs) You start trying to peel the layers back. It's like, did she create her own devotee in Dustin Hoffman? (laughs) And that's why he's so forthright with her? But he never hears her. Is this actually a story about the woman? Are we all really God just experiencing the universe? (laughs) But he never hears her while he's in Dustin Hoffman's office. And we establish when he's brushing his teeth, she falls off track when he's doing stuff outside of her story. Mm -hmm. So once he stops doing what she's writing, he can't hear her anymore. Yeah. So, like, we get, like, kind of a, like... I love this conversation. (laughs) We get kind of, like, an establishing, like, the shit that he's doing isn't all necessarily stuff she's writing, and Mm -hmm. there's stuff that she's writing that he's missing out on. But it is kind of, like... It's not like what he's doing in real life, which is kind of nice, I guess. It, it it would be a bit of a shame, I think, if the only reason he changed it all was because he met a girl. Yeah. Um, So he gets the advice, stay home and do nothing. Let's see what happens to the story. How does she reintroduce you to the plot? How does she come back to you? And, of course, bulldozer through his fucking... <laughs> but I think it's kind of nice that you get that moment of that, like, cliche saying, live like you're dying. So, mm-hmm. like, he starts learning guitar and he starts doing all the stuff that he wants to do. He sends his friend the yeah. space camp brochure And the voice isn't bugging him anymore. <laughs> yeah, and he does all this specific... Well, she does talk to him while he's in the guitar shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does all this stuff specifically because... He wants to enjoy his life, and it's not, I'm going to learn guitar to impress a chick. So it's yeah. less rom com in that sense. But like, he does wind up using the guitar to impress the chick, and we don't get the narrative over the top of it. So she didn't write that moment. He lived that moment where mm. she left him off. Which is also, in, God damn it, I love this. But like in writing, you do have to break narrative to other places most of the time. So you've got characters that fall off and come back around having their own journey that doesn't matter so long as they walk into that coffee shop where they bump shoulders in the grocery store later on. My favorite thing, breaking, um, I think the cliche um, formula for Mm rom-com. So in 30 minutes or less. 30 minutes or less. Uh, In 30 minutes or less character has a bomb strapped to him we have that moment where he's like i might die so he goes to the girl that he loves and basically tells her i might die yeah. he doesn't outright Meets say her on it. the rooftop yeah doesn't outright say it but he's like you know if i were living my last day i would want you to know blah 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 mm-hmm. well Farrell's character also knows he's gonna die brings goes, her flowers no no <laughs> goes into the bedroom with her and like you have this moment where you think he's gonna like have this heart to heart like serious mm-hmm. i love you because he's like look i need to say something and i really need you to listen to me and he goes <laughs> You can deduct all of your donations, (laughs) and it would be worth more than the taxes you didn't pay. It is hard. He's 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 ready to die as an IRS agent. Well, I like that he doesn't want to put that burden on her. He's Mm. like, I'm just going to enjoy this moment. And, like, they never say I love you to each other. He says I adore you, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, you can tell they're getting more serious. And she's like, I adore you, too. But then you have that moment where you expect in... Like the formula, like he's going to say. the slow brush of hair, the kiss, the making love one last time. And he <laughs> well, just is like, you can you can deduct that. Well, through your you have this moment where you think he's going to say, like, not necessarily I might die, but something profound, like I love you. And yeah. if something were to happen, I just want you to know that. And he's like, you can write this off <laughs> and not be punished by the government. <laughs> like, I like that it's a bit of a twist on that moment. That is interesting. Because I didn't think about that like as we were watching it, but you're 100% right flip that moment on its ass and then you have like also earlier with the guitar sequence in a traditional romantic comedy he would have looked at that guitar for like two times and then the third time you know would have been the time he played their song 
when in actuality he just knows one song on an electric guitar. He's looking at it, he's looking at it, we're expecting because the formula dictates he needs to not pick up the guitar because he doesn't have his confidence. Instead picks it up and plays a song that she loves and their sequence starts together. Much later in the rom-com formula and without using that like rule of three of he needs to doubt himself and then he needs to doubt himself but almost do it and then he just needs to say fuck it I'm Jim Carrey taking what's her nuts to the big arena and singing the song <laughs> well, I like to um, I don't, like there's a vulnerability to it like he waits to play until she's out of the room so yeah. it doesn't even feel like he's then necessarily she sits down next to him and he just keeps yeah, his eyes closed yeah. and he knows she's there <laughs> and like it feels like it's not necessarily like him playing because she asked he's like I can do because <laughs> like, you know, like, he, he kind of sighs to himself and he's like someone who his whole life has not done things spontaneous yeah, yeah. and he's like I can do this just like just pick up the guitar man we got this <laughs> we don't have the narrative but I'm fucking doing it anyway I'm living my life no it's a really cute movie though it's yeah it's not a ha ha comedy movie it's definitely a, a bit of a dramatic yeah, comedy a meta drama <laughs> I love meta movies. Like we are, we're gonna watch Eternal Sunshine soon because I need to see that fucking film. Uh, went to Target today. Never go to Target. Went to Target because I got a biggie, biggie, a, biggie. A, you got a biggie. I love it when they call me Big Pop. No. Uh, went to Target today because they've got a bigger DVD collection, and they still didn't have Eternal Sunshine. So the oh, universe is yeah. We might have to do the Amazon thing, but. I wanted to talk a little bit about, before we get into comedy formula, um, classic comedians and some serious roles. Like, how that, our understanding of them, much like at the beginning where he's screaming at his toothbrush and stuff, our expectation from that face in these harder roles. So, like, Robin Williams, legendary Goodwill Hunting. Jim Carrey, Eternal Sunshine. Uh, Will Ferrell, this. <laughs> Jim Carrey also in the number 23. The number 23. Fucking love that film. Uh, he's done a number of uh, serious things. Dane Cook, Mr. Brooks, uh, Marlon Wayans, and Requiem for a Dream, which is one of the most disturbing films of all time, and one of the Wayans brothers is the dude in it. <laughs> um, and Whoopi in The Color Purple. Yeah, yeah, Whoopi Goldberg, like at the peak of her rise, you know, <laughs> plays in the color purple and like wins best actress of that year for it. She was also in the movie, um, which her character is a bit silly and a bit over the top, but uh, I hope it was Whoopi. I'm gonna sound so I'm horrible. Keeping my mouth closed. So horrible if it wasn't Whoopi. I'm 90% sure it was Whoopi, though. She's in the movie Ghost, um, yeah, that yeah. Patrick Swayze was in, and uh. Her character is a little bit over the top in that movie, but it is still a pretty, um, it's definitely a drama. It's not a comedy. Well, she was comedic relief in there, whereas in Color Purple, she's playing a beaten woman. Like, we don't get any ha-has in the Color Purple. <laughs> but, like, I, I know that a lot of the people on the list that I just gave are hyper-talented, and a lot of them, like, maybe not Juilliard-level trained, but trained to a degree in, like, Shakespearean works and shit like that, especially Robin Williams. Um, but we get used to seeing their face as the one who makes us laugh. You know, there's a difference in, like, Robin Williams 
uh, and flubber, you know, flubber's <laughs> or kind of a silly movie. flubber's silly. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire, Patch Adams, these Mrs. like Mrs. Doubtfire. Son- I mean, his his no. character is silly, but Mrs. Doubtfire is a pretty heavy movie too, actually. Yeah, as is Patch Adams, but like this is still kind of an over the top comedic relief at times when it's needed, versus like a Goodwill Hunting. Where, like, the only time you're going to laugh in Goodwill Hunting outside of the bar sequence um, is when Robin Williams tells this story about how he loves his wife because she farts in bed. Like, th- that's the. Loved. Uh, yeah, she's dead. she's dead. But, like, that's the funniest, really, that he gets. And it's just a story that's supposed to make you connect with, like, this is a man who knows love talking to Will, who thinks he understands beauty, you know, because he's seen it in textbooks, but he's never stood in the Sistine Chapel. You know, (laughs) you trust Robin Williams to make you laugh. So when he doesn't make you laugh, it hurts a little bit. Same thing with Jim Carrey. You watch him go crazy as opposed to, you know, I'm wild. I'm crazy. You know, he's very tight. He's crying. He's you can see it if I was going to make a comparison to the Mrs. Doubtfire reference in um, Truman's show. That's a very serious role, but you do still get a hello, good morning, and good night. You know, <laughs> one of those things. Um, how effective, obviously, very effective, fucking color purple. <laughs> what do you think of that, that, that use of these? people that are used to making you laugh, making you cry. Well, I think, um, cause you and I talked about this off air the other night. I think for me, I'm not a comedian, so I don't really have like any me personal. Either. I just <laughs> think I'm hilarious. <laughs> um, I don't have any, um, personal insight as far as that goes. And I, I'm not by any means, um, saying that regular actors don't have personal journeys that they go through in mm-hmm. their art. Um, especially um, method actors, like, very submersed in the role that they're playing and um, heavily research it. But I I think with comedians, it's still, it's not literally um, acting out a scene, but it's still a a performance when you're on stage doing a show and it's planned out and you kind of have this path that you take and these jokes that you hit and these punches that you kind of want to time out. And so it's still that practice of learning to perform for people. But I think with comedy, a lot of comedians use their personal experiences to kind of like find these like entertaining stories that they can share with the audience. So there's a lot of vulnerability to that. Yeah. Especially with the ones that you really enjoy that I, I mean, I definitely really enjoy them, but like your Gary Goldman's, Mm -hmm. your Birbiglia's like these long form story people not so much like the new york city punch 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 get the Mm -hmm. fuck out of my way (laughs) well i mean even with like more punchy comedians i think some people kind of to some extent use their experiences with life Mm -hmm. or most people um use their experiences with life to kind of find a way to weave these stories but yeah especially the comedians that kind of share like even robin williams has like the whole story about his kid and all that um they share these really vulnerable, <laughs> these really vulnerable moments. So I think it's kind of the um, expectation when you have a comedian that they're on screen that they're gonna be funny because mm-hmm. that's what they do for a living. But I, I, I think a lot of comedians have a really 
deep and personal understanding of vulnerability so then they get on screen mm-hmm. when you have these really dramatic roles and it doesn't feel scripted like, like they're we just were. showing you they're not laughing at it yeah but they don't walk around in their life going ha 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 ha, ha that sucks <laughs> like that there's a reason like all those memes that get shared about robin williams where he's talking about sadness he put jokes around that as a kind of force field as a lot of comedians do they express themselves in that way i tend to express myself in the horror genre but i'm not running around with a machete hacking everybody's fucking heads off it's a way to conquer the rage mm-hmm. um a lot of humor comes out of really dark places. And so I think a person like a Jim Carrey or a Robin Williams is just, let me not make the joke and experience, even from like an acting sense, the pain that I would need jokes to dig myself out of. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like with which comedic actor in that, but with 30 seconds or less, like, they had this fight sequence that felt... I hate felt, Aziz, I'm sorry. <laughs> they had this fight sequence that felt so fake and so scripted yeah. and, like, so inauthentic. It was painful to watch. And then, like... Like, I know you haven't seen either of these movies, but Eternal Sunshine mm-hmm. and um, What Dreams May Come, uh, Eternal Sunshine is Jim Carrey, What Dreams May Come is Robin Williams, are both movies about very immediate and very personal loss like people very close to the characters from a writer's standpoint immediacy is everything there's a reason why we're watching this yeah it's because there's no time left if this story doesn't exist you know it it doesn't exist 20 years down the road it exists this week or this hour so yeah there's a lot of vulnerability and i don't think with either of those movies there's really hardly any like laughs like with what dreams may come robin williams has this really cute moment where he's almost kind of like a kid again but it's not like him cracking hysterical jokes um and like like, robin williams with the spaghetti pool and patch adams like it's not going to make you laugh it's more likely to make you cry that the old woman with cancer was that the spaghetti pool she was the old lady i think so yeah yeah um, I haven't seen that movie in so long. Yeah, where she, like she's wading around in the vat of spaghetti. <laughs> like, mm. it, it, on paper, it looks like it should be a gut laugh, like, oh my God. But because she has cancer, because this is her last dream, you're more likely to cry in that moment than you are laugh at the screen. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, it pulls you from the heart. But yeah, I think, um, I don't know, I, I do think comedians develop a skill over a lifetime of Mm -hmm. finding a way to make difficult experiences like personally uplifting so then whenever they do great depression (laughs) so whenever (laughs) they do these like dramatic roles like i feel like you can't not see this character that's like oh this character has been hurt this character has lost something important and not feel like some level of connection Mm -hmm. where um again not saying that you know, regular actors don't submerse themselves in their own roles, but I think regular actors go at it from the approach a lot of the time of this is a role that I've been cast in. Yeah. And, um, I'm just would, here collecting a yeah, paycheck. What would this character do and what would this character say and how would this character walk versus where I feel like a comedian would be like, how do I relate to this character? Yeah. How does this character feel? If this story was happening to me, what is the story I tell 10 years later, you know, and then like deconstruct it from there. I, 
we're killing it right now. <laughs> like if you're just out there. Um, but in the last little chunk here, I want to compare Fun with Dick and Jane 30 minutes or less. And I'm going to let you read my notes on this <laughs> because I write hilarious notes. <clears throat> What do they say, Kristen? Oh, I'm reading them out loud. It's this last section, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Comedy formula when followed to the T doesn't work. Fun with Dick and Jane versus 30 seconds or, or 30 minutes or less. Why do I keep saying 30 seconds? It's how long it should have been. Um, <laughs> fun with Dick and Jane breaks some rules. Uh, 30 minutes or less, please kill me. Stop. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, Fun with Dick and Jane is, um, if you haven't seen it or it's been a while, uh, dude gets basically made the head of a company that gets hit with, like, an Enron stock-level fucking event. He completely crashes. Everybody loses their jobs. He's the face of the company. His wife quits her job on the same day. They need a huge heist to, like financially recover <laughs> and they have very brilliant cute moments the building of the lawn where it's just patchwork and he's like running through the night like a crack addict well i like too that initially they start this premise of they're gonna rob a place together yeah. is she's just indulging him because she's like whatever like, he steals a slurpee yeah. in the first one <laughs> like she has no faith that he's gonna follow through she's like i'm just indulging my husband because his ego is a little bruised so she's like oh oh give me whatever while you're in there you know <laughs> actually pulls one off and she's like oh my god holy shit what's the one they pull off because i know that they they it, the slurpee's the first one it's the place where and they, then he can't get the, the black lights he can't get the gun out of the pocket that's right when they go into the head shop and she's screaming at him she's like because <laughs> he tells her that they're gonna foreclose on their home the very next day if they don't yeah. pay it and she's like get the fucking money <laughs> they rob the they, actually, they try to rob the dude that they then figure out that they know so like you he have like the old lady with her groceries that one was fucking awesome but uh it builds to this plot twist at the end where jim carrey's gonna have the last laugh for one dollar he's like i don't want everything it's back any dollars gives him a hundred dollar check well, he, he winds up giving him a $100 check, but he sticks the gun in his ribs, the little water gun, and he demands a check for $1. No, it's a, it's a, he says, because they try to steal millions of dollars from him, mm -hmm. and he says uh, he doesn't care if he cancels it later, he just wants a check, and he goes, I'll, I'll, I'll write, write you a, you check. a blank and check. He was like, yeah. I no, he was like, I won't even cancel it. He's like, let me tell you what I think you're worth, and he writes it out for 100 Hmm. I thought it was $1. Mm -hmm. Um... I thought that's how desperate the character got, and then he, oh, I'll write you a check for how much you're worth. Yeah, yeah. I've got you. And he only writes it for a hundred, which is yeah. But like you get like this huge plot twist at the end where I can't remember how they managed to do it, but Jim Carrey finally fucks him all the way down the line too by donating everything that he had from ruining the company and ruining his life. So he gets like this nice little like <laughs> they're gonna think you're a fantastic philanthropist. <laughs> As opposed to the narrative structure of 30 Minutes or Less. Would you like to break that one down? No. Uh, he's a delivery man. Gets a bomb strapped to his chest. Has 30 minutes to do something. Aziz Ansari gets a blowjob. I don't know why 
if somebody even, gets blown up. I don't know if why they even call it 30 minutes or less. He has like eight or nine hours. Like, <laughs> he has like almost an entire day to get it done. He's got a lot of time. He sits around, thumb up his ass with a lot of time with that bomb. Oh, 30 minutes or less because that's all the time he has to deliver the pizza. Yeah. Okay. Tracking. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so they... They strap a bomb to his chest so that he can steal money so that they can pay a hitman so that he can kill his dad so that he can inherit his dad's money. So he can have a strip club slash hair salon. Tanning bed. Tanning bed. Um, instead of just killing his dad himself. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a huge roundabout way for this idiot to start a business that would immediately be raided. Exactly. <laughs> what is the second note that I have there? Um, Fun with Dick and Jane has a tight narrative. 30 minutes or less, please kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I do feel like with 30 minutes or less, it's very... Um, it, all over the place. It's all over the place. It's inconsistent as shit. <laughs> yeah, the smartest this... dude, the bomb maker character, Nick Swartzen, um, a whole shitload smarter than the dude that's in charge of him, but it, like he's wearing a... I, there's monkey masks at some point. I. Well, it's like super inconsistent all around. Because, okay, yeah. first of all... Um... Like, these two characters who aren't even really super good friends and have done a lot of fucked up shit to each other end up banding together. And I feel like most friends would be like, dude, I'm not robbing a bank. Yeah. This is absurd. Period. Um, and I'm not doing it to kill your dad. Yeah. They, um... <laughs> the heroes or whatever get seen by the cops and then get away and for no other point in the story are harassed by law enforcement even though they know exactly what they look like. Um, he's told at one point he has, I think, an hour left, and then literally the whole rest of the day goes by. Yeah, and that was the funniest part. Yeah, because he's told he's got an hour left at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, runs into the dude from Breaking Bad, and then winds up. Yeah, and, it, yeah. like, it's so many, like, like open-ended stuff that they never, like, finish off. Like, we don't know if the dad with the little pen gun, which that was the coolest mm -hmm. thing in the whole movie. I was like, I want a little pen gun. Um, we don't know if he lives or dies. Um, we don't know if the bomb builder who got burned up by the flamethrower lives or dies. We don't uh, know if the dude from the Facebook movie goes back and fucks he's on Sari's sister. Well, we don't know if literally the cops raid their apartment the very next day because everybody <laughs> saw what they looked like. Like it's just, And, like, the end of the movie is just, like, a punchline joke. Like, oh, the ink on the money. It oh, no. Up. Didn't see that coming. Yeah. Like third point. So fucking predictable. Um, third point. Uh, fun with Dick and Jane. Plot twist end. 30 minutes or less. We'll saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Like, we get these beautiful... And, and, and don't at me about, like, I don't understand a stoner film. I understand stoner films. I love stoner films. I, I'm not a hater of James Franco movies. If you're smoking weed and watching a James Franco movie, I've, I've, I'm, 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 I, I've seen all the classics. All right, I've been down that road. This movie is ass. <laughs> Thirty minutes or less, shit can film. Well, they try to make you feel <laughs> sympathetic for this character, and then like, who rocks? This character learns to stick up for himself at the end, and like, you don't really feel any of that. It's like, are we still fucking going? Like, yeah. is this bomb not blowing you up yet? Not and then like, <laughs> I legit thought um, 
Mick Swartzen's character was going to like have some big heart to heart because he changes the code on the phone so he mm-hmm. can't blow him up. And at the end, he's standing there ready to flame, like before they get attacked by the gangster dude and he gets burned up yeah. and the dude steals his money. Before all that, because I could understand maybe that's a motivating factor, he's ready <laughs> to let his partner shoot an innocent dude and an innocent chick in the back of the head and he's going to burn them alive. He's like, oh, yeah, we were definitely yep. going to do that. We're right back there. Like, how did he go from, like, this is wrong, we shouldn't do this, to instantly, like, okay, let's burn him alive. Yeah, what the fuck, people? Or it was his idea to kidnap the girlfriend in the first place. He's like, well, let's steal his girl. Exactly. So then we come back to the comedic formula all over again. Think, like, all three of these films on a triangle, which I, I would depending on mood I'm in, fun with Dick and Jane and stranger than fiction can cycle, you know, from the top of the triangle to the right of that triangle. Um, You break a couple of things when you put a comedic actor as the lead in a semi-dramatic, metadramatic romantic comedy thing. Um... You subvert the genre when you dial Jim Carrey back just enough and then complicate the plot to where you feel like you're rooting for Robin Hood again. You're like, come on, you motherfucker. I know you're robbing a bank, but you're my guy. Get in there. Fuck these assholes. And then... Technically robbing a bank. He's trying to rob the dude that... He's robbing one dude. (laughs) And then all the forgettable things about you know, 30 minutes or less because it set up punchline tag, set up punchline tag, and none of the jokes are tying back into the like the actual dough of the story. None of it's coming back to any sort of a center so that we feel completely disconnected from these characters to the point that I can't even remember who played any of the characters without thinking really hard. <laughs> like, it's... Uh, money grab. It's dog shit. Yeah, it was a pretty shitty movie. I'd... And, like, it's a bummer, because, like, the premise sounded yeah. interesting, and, like, it's very clearly based off a real event. Yeah, um, the pizza bomber. <laughs> which seems real, real insensitive how... Well, they claim that they'd only vaguely heard of the story. But did it's you look that up? Pl- I did oh. today while I was making notes. Yeah, because it's, um, yeah, if you've not heard of that, um, there was an actual dude who I think, um, if I'm remembering right, was, was a pizza delivery driver. Well, it came out at the end. He was actually involved in the situation, um, if I'm remembering right, if I'm wrong, my bad. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right, because you the, and I The documentary the... that we watched, she, the woman who knew the other two guys that were involved states that, um... He didn't know that there was going to be a bank know. robbery. He, he didn't have advance notice. No, he didn't know the bomb would actually blow up. He thought the bomb was fake. Okay. Um, anyway. I, and, yeah, I could be wrong with that. But I, like, <laughs> if I'm remembering right, the dude was right technically is. involved. Um, but he didn't know that the bomb was actually real, and he didn't know that it was actually going to blow up until like something happened, and then he realized it was a real bomb mm-hmm. and like freaked out. Um but yeah, it's, it's based on a, a real event where a real person got blown up. Um, yeah. He did not get the vest off. He died. Yeah, they put um, him on a wild goose chase for random things throughout the city. And yeah. then when they tried to do it like in an emergency vehicle where you could go as they fast as you could. you couldn't do like, it. There's no fucking way. Yeah. They meant to kill this guy. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like to do a movie that's so 
pointless and silly is incredibly insensitive. Mm-hmm. Even if you only vaguely heard of it, do some research. Yeah. Um, if I knew that I was making a movie that might make people allude to a real event, I would want to know what happened. Yeah, and, and they've done funny ones. There's one with The Rock and uh, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, where they recreate these cocaine murders from the 80s. I, I can't remember the fucking name of it, but uh, Mark Wahlberg and The Rock both play, like, obsessed bodybuilders who kill somebody, I think, to get money for steroids. Like, it, it, they're, they're, like, working up to it. But it was a real story out of Miami, and at some point they burned the dude's body on a, like, coal grill just in their backyard and then there's a scene in the movie where they're flipping this guy's arm back and forth hoping that it like toasts it's like heavy and dark and based on a real thing but it opens up with this is based on real events and you know it's a comedy so (laughs) we're gonna show how stupid these guys are yeah and like if you want to do a comedy about like a serious thing that's fine i'm not saying you can't um, yeah. Try to make something. Some light out of some of a, really fucked bit up of a situation. Cash grab, but I'm not saying you can't do it. Um, but yeah, don't be so fucking insensitive about it. <laughs> <sighs> These bastards. But Stranger Than Fiction was good. It was. Fun with Dick and Jane was good. Yes. You know, it smells good. The roast that we're cooking? We're cooking a motherfucking roast while we're working on Memorial Day, bitches. I'm gonna make some cookies. And we're making cookies. And we're going to go do that right now. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you. Hmm, fuck it. Maybe next week. If I can find a good movie. I don't know. Who gives a shit? It might be Charlie and the Chocolate.